Pastor Ryan. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you this beautiful Sunday morning. God is good, right? Yes, amen. God is so good to us uh, as a community, as a church, as people of the Lord. And uh, it's exciting to be here this morning to bring the Word of God uh, as we dive into Psalm 23, one of the most familiar, popular passages of Scripture that so many people throughout the world celebrate on a daily basis in their lives. So glad to be here. I'm so excited to be here. It's Super Bowl Sunday, by the way. Do you guys remember that? Not as exciting as last year, is it? It's not as much to look forward to this year as there was last year. And I, I remember often back to childhood how exciting Super Bowl Sunday was, how you would look forward to church getting out as fast as possible so you could get home, turn on the game, and watch the game that night, and how excited we would get for things just like that. I'll tell you that one of the most exciting things for me in childhood was always that time of the year when my parents would say that we're going to go on vacation this summer. Now, before you get your hopes up into thinking it was to Disney World or something fun and exciting like that, vacation in my home when we were growing up was a trip to visit one of my parents, brothers, or sisters. It was a trip to visit family somewhere in some state in the United States. Now, we couldn't afford to fly to that specific state, so we would cram all of our things into a little station wagon, and we would take a road trip. The road trip would be such an exciting thing, this idea that we're going to go somewhere, we're going to end up in a new location, and it's going to be fantastic. We'd get so excited for weeks, counting down to the moment when we would finally get to go on this road trip. Of course, the excitement would die pretty quickly once you got into the car and realized what a road trip really is. Here you are, stuck leg to leg with my two brothers, which is not an exciting thing. Stuck leg to leg, you are fighting for space in the back seat. I still wonder how my parents did this with three boys in the back seat of the car. We would fight for space, we would fight for everything, we would argue about everything, we would never stop arguing for the entire 18 to 20 hours, whatever it took to get to wherever we needed to get to. It was a lot of arguing over whose space is where, what's that smell, what's that noise. We would argue about everything in the car. So my parents decided we have to figure out a way for you guys to stay quiet or silent or at least stop fighting for the 18 hours of this journey wherever we're going. So they, far, they f- decided to have us, I mean, there were no smartphones or video games or anything like that back then, so they decided that we'd have to read books in the car. Not, not the most fun way to spend 18 or 20 hours. So we'd have to read, and one of the books that we picked up and started to read was a book of riddles. How many of you guys have ever heard a riddle or tried to solve a riddle? Riddles are not easy. Riddles are this idea that if you can disguise a question to make people think one way when all along they were supposed to think another way, you can fool them. And so during these long rides, we would read these books of riddles and try to solve them right up until we started fighting again and the the trip continues. So many riddles are so interesting. I want to throw a few out to you this morning because I think solving them might help solve one of the problems that come up in the psalm that we're going to study this morning. You know some of the classic riddles. What's black and white and red all over? The newspaper, very good. So you understand how the riddle works. There are so many other ones that are famous like that. What, I- what has a head, a tail, is brown but has no eyes? Has a head, a tail, is brown but has no eyes? Very good. A penny, very good. <laughs> nice job. Nobody got it. So it's, 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 it's questions like that that make you think and wonder. And as you think more, you try to dive into what is the connection between the words that were given And the end result, the answer. Let me give you another one. A cowboy is riding into a town on Friday. 
Two days later, he leaves that town on Friday. How is that possible? The horse's name is Friday. Very good. So again, if you think along the lines of the question, it becomes a lot easier. But then there are those riddles that connect people, that have relationships that you have to solve. I'll give you a famous one. A father and son are involved in a traffic accident. The father is quickly rushed to one hospital. The son is rushed to another hospital. When he gets to the hospital, the surgeon comes out and says, I cannot operate on this child. He is my son. How is that possible? The surgeon is his mother. Understanding the relationship makes all the difference. There are two dads and two sons fishing. They catch three fish between them, but all of them caught one fish. How is that possible? Two dads and two sons fishing. They catch three fish. All of them catch one fish. How is that possible? It's a grandfather, a father, and a son. Two dads and two sons. Oh, makes a lot more sense once you have the answer, doesn't it? This is what riddles do. Riddles are tough to solve because we have to figure out the connection. We have to figure out the relationship between one thing and another thing, and that's what makes it so difficult. But once again, the idea is simple. If you figure out the relationship, you figure out the rest. If the relationship becomes clear, the rest becomes clear. And this morning, we're going to dive into a psalm where a man of God writes this poem or writes this song, and ultimately he reminds us that if we can make the relationship clear, everything else becomes clear. If we understand the relationship, then everything else becomes clear. So we're going to read from Psalm 23 this morning. I'll read from the New International Version. You can follow along as we read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's maybe the most popular part of Scripture. It's maybe the most popular section of Scripture that probably people over all these thousands of years have learned the most, have memorized the most, have loved the most. It's read at good times. It's read in difficult times. It's read often as a psalm, as a poem, as a song, a way to celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. How many of you learned the psalm as a child? memorized it as a child. Any of you memorized it while you were in public schools? Believe it or not, this psalm used to be taught in public schools, something that children used to have to learn in, in public schools back a long time ago because clearly that's not happening today. However, people used to learn it, but sometimes we don't really get the full depth of what David is saying in this psalm until we understand what David was going through when he wrote this psalm. Let me give you a little context on what was happening. Scholars believe that David writes this psalm towards the latter part of his life, towards the close of his life. 
He's experienced so much in the, in the years that he's had on this earth. So many highs that you could not imagine. He was selected among all of his brothers, anointed to be the next king of Israel. He defeats the giant Goliath and beats the Philistine army, winning one of the most incredible victories in the history of his nation. He goes on to become one of the most powerful kings on earth. In fact, one of the most respected and well-authoritated kings that we've ever seen in history. David lives a life full of the highest of highs. When we listen to this psalm, we also understand that David also lived some of the lowest lows a person could ever imagine. David had to run for a big part of his life, run away from enemies, constantly in war, constantly in battle. Things that he goes through like adultery, things that like murder and conspiracy to commit murder, things like losing his son as a result of his, of his sin. David experienced tragedy. Some of the lowest lows that you can ever imagine, David experienced those. But in the end of it all, David asks a question that many, many of us sitting here right now are also asking. The question is, can I ever be content? Can I ever find peace on this earth? Does peace exist? And if it does, how do I find it? And David addresses it in the most beautiful way possible right, by writing this song, by going back to his experiences. If you're not familiar with David's life, it's probably important to understand that David used to be a shepherd. David watched over sheep, his father's sheep, for many years. The Bible records that while watching over his father's sheep, David had to battle a bear that came to take one of the sheep. In another situation, he had to fight off a lion that had one of his sheep in his mouth, and both times David won. David understands what it means to be a shepherd to watch over sheep, and David decides to use that relationship to explain this question, to answer this question, is there such a thing as peace? Is there such a thing as never lacking anything? Is there such a thing as being satisfied and content and not anxious and not restless? Is there such a thing as peace here on this earth? David answers it in the most beautiful way that he could possibly answer. He simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's so beautiful thinking about who he is writing about what he knows. Oftentimes we think that the only way to lack nothing is to what? Have everything. That's right. The only way to lack nothing is to have everything. And David, the king of all kings in Israel, the king above all the people, ruling over so many millions of subjects, ruling over other nations that he's conquered, David rises up so high in his life, and he ultimately teaches all of us that it's not everything we have that gives us contentedness, it's who we know that gives us contentedness. The only way we can ever be satisfied, the only way to find peace is to know the source of peace it's not to have everything that comes in this lifetime. David understood that even though we have so much, even though we gain so many things, it doesn't mean that we necessarily have peace in our hearts. And we live in a world today where this is the case, where everyone is running after what can I buy next? What can I gain next? What can I earn next? Who can I meet next? What's the next big thing to own or to purchase or to have? David reminds us all that peace and contentedness, satisfaction doesn't come from what we have. It comes from who we know. And so the question to each of us this morning, 
David said, the Lord is my, and he finished the blank with the word shepherd. The question to each of us this morning, how would you finish that sentence? The Lord is my what? Because it's possible to have plenty, but still feel completely unsatisfied. There are people who have very mature palates, people who love to try new foods, love to try every delicacy and every experimental food that you can think of. Anyone here love to try new foods, try new things? Okay, there's some of you that love to be experimental when it comes to food. I am not going to raise my hand because that is not me. In fact, I'm probably quite the opposite. I have the taste buds, the palate of a a three or four-year-old, pretty much. If you were to offer me a $1,000 plate of caviar and a $1 plate of chicken nuggets, I would ask you, where's the honey mustard? Because I'm going for the nuggets. There is something about my taste buds that are not mature, that are not refined, that are not something special at all. When my children eat, I often eat what they eat because that's the way I feel most comfortable. It's comforting to me to eat some of those types of foods. Now, this doesn't work so well, especially for me, because I especially have an aversion to seafood. Now, this is weird. I live in New England and have an aversion to seafood. I do not eat fish or anything that comes from the ocean. It's weird. I know. Just just bear with me on this one. It didn't work especially well for me because most of my career, I worked for a large Japanese company, a company based out in Japan. And part of my job was to travel out to Tokyo, to Japan, a place where they not only love seafood, they love it so much they don't feel the need to cook the seafood. That's how much they love seafood. And so these trips didn't work out so great for me all the time. I would land in Japan. I would go to these elaborate dinners that our hosts would prepare for us. Dinners where you were expected to eat everything, otherwise you were disrespecting your host. And these elaborate dinners, sometimes we would, we would sit there and for hours, course after course, would be brought of the most delicacy-type fish or seafood that you can imagine. And of course, none of it was cooked, which made it even more exciting. One time I was sitting at a dinner with some very high dignitaries from the Japanese government were sitting around a table. And again, the idea is you don't want to offend them by not eating the food. And remember again how I eat. So let's keep that in mind. The waiters bring around a fish tank. Let me say that again. They bring around an aquarium. They actually brought an aquarium to the front of the table. They bring out this little fork-like spear. They spear a fish, bring it out, quickly kill it, throw in some vegetables, and drop it right in front of you. It is a fish that was flopping around less than a second ago that is now your meal. Now, that's not the worst part, though. The worst part is the first thing you're supposed to eat is the eyes of the fish. Yeah, not so good. Remember again, chicken nuggets, okay? So... So one by one, everyone is popping the eyes into their mouths and eating these fish. And I am sitting there thinking, if I throw up in front of the premiere of Japan, what would that look like? And I'm worried and I'm nervous. Now, I'll tell you this, guys. I found a way to get out of it without eating the eyes, but I had to eat other parts of it, which was not so delectable. The rest of the meal, they would bring out pieces of shark, pieces of octopus, of eel, and one by one ask us to eat these uncooked pieces of fish. And there was so much food and everyone left satisfied. But here's the thing. I walked away hungry at the end of that meal. There was plenty, but I walked away unsatisfied. And this is so much, what David is saying is so much about what we experience every day, that we have plenty in our lives. We have so many things, especially living in the United States. We have so much, 
But every day we go to sleep empty. We go to sleep hungry. We go to sleep thirsty. We go to sleep wanting more in life because it never feels like we've had enough. And David, towards the end of his life, having seen so much from the the wilderness watching his father's sheep all the way to the palace watching over God's people, he says, in all of this I've learned that the Lord is my shepherd and that's the only reason I'm content in life. That's the only thing that gives me contentedness in life. He says, I shall never lack anything that I need. In order to understand what David is really saying, we have to understand the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. Please be aware that David does not choose lions or bears or tigers or snakes or even bugs. He chooses sheep to explain his relationship to the Lord. So that means we need to understand a little something about sheep. We need to understand the types of animals they are and why David would ever compare us to sheep. Sheep are some of the most weak timid, defenseless, and there's no better way to say it, dumb animals in all of creation. It's not easy for a king to call himself a sheep, is it? It is the most weak, timid, defenseless, dumb animal probably in all of creation. Sheep have no natural defense system. There are animals that have powerful muscles, animals that can run very fast, animals that can camouflage themselves with their backgrounds, animals that have real defense systems. Sheep's only defense system is to run, and they don't even do that well. Sheep have no defense system. Sheep often stray and get lost easily. They get lost very easily because they do not have the instinct to go back and find the place where they're supposed to go back to. Dogs have that instinct. Many other animals have that instinct. But sheep don't have that instinct. Sheep are weak. Sheep are timid. Sheep have trouble finding their own way. And it's this animal that David compares himself to. David, the king of Israel, compares himself to that animal. He says, this is who I am. And the only reason I'm content, the only reason I'm satisfied is because I have a close relationship with the shepherd who watches over me. And because I'm connected to the shepherd, because I have a relationship with the shepherd, the rest of it all makes sense. Let's look a little deeper into what the sheep are like. Sheep aren't able to defend themselves. Sheep can't find their own way. Sheep weren't made to carry burdens in life. You don't see sheep often carrying packs of things as you climb up a mountain or something like that. Sheep are not made for these things. Sheep also have another tendency. They're content with whatever satisfies them. If you bring a sheep out to find water, a sheep will see a dirty puddle in front of it and they will drink from the dirty puddle even if there's a river ten steps ahead because they will be content with whatever satisfies them. Now, doesn't this start to sound a lot more like us as we go along? That we are weak. That we are timid. That we are defenseless in many ways. That we stray often. That we are often satisfied with the filthy puddle in front of us rather than going after the rivers of water that are waiting right beyond that puddle. Sheep need a shepherd. And David realized that early in his life, he realized that the only strength I have, the only comfort I have, the only ability I have is when I am connected to my shepherd. Because if the Lord is my shepherd, then I lack nothing. 
He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. David is saying that I have such a close connection with my shepherd and because of that, I lack nothing because the shepherd guides every step of my life. If you sit here this morning and you are restless in your heart today, if you are anxious, if you are in anguish about something, if there are troubles or issues bothering you that weigh you down, this morning the question is not, can I solve my problem doing X, Y, or Z? The situation, the answer is simply this. Do you have a relationship with the shepherd this morning? Because ultimately that's what leads us to satisfaction and contentedness. A full reliance on the shepherd. I had the uh, misfortune of getting chicken pox as an adult. Anyone here receive chicken pox as an adult? It is not fun. It is not fun. There's a couple of you here. It is a difficult, difficult thing to get chicken pox as an adult. Uh, everything you've ever heard, it's true. It hurts more. It, it, it just comes across worse. The symptoms are far worse. I was 22 years old. I was in my final semester at college. One day I looked down on my arm and I found a red bump on my wrist. Didn't pay much attention to it. Found a red bump that I started scratching on my neck, and then there was a red bump on my other arm. Before you knew it, I had chicken pox. Before you knew it, I had an incredibly high fever, could not move out of my bed, could not get out. I had enough strength to reach for my phone and call my parents. And thankfully, uh, the loving parents that I have, they quickly, my, my dad quickly got onto a bus and drove up and came up to Boston to come get me. I was so weak and so just completely out of it that I could barely see. I was hallucinating. I had so, such high of a fever and the muscle aches and the inability to use my legs and my arms was really starting to get to me. And so my dad carried me into a car and drove me back down to New Jersey. And for the next two weeks, I was completely reliant on my parents, reliant on, for them for everything, uh, eating, drinking, going to the bathroom, cleaning myself, changing my clothes, everything I was reliant upon my parents. It was a full reliance. Now, in general, I rely on my parents in the sense of, you know, I call them, I talk to them, that type of a thing. But that two weeks, I fully relied upon them. And here David is saying there's a difference between knowing who God is and knowing God. Knowing who he is and what he's capable of and actually experiencing it and knowing it so intimately that you see him not just as your friend or not just as someone you know or someone you connect to on Sunday morning, but knowing him as your shepherd, as this intimate personal relationship that I rely upon him for everything in my life. Let's look at the needs that David breaks down in every verse in this chapter. He says, he leads me beside still waters. He lay, makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's telling us that this shepherd, he provides for all of my physical needs. My, my hunger, my thirst, what I require in life, he provides for it. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He takes care of all of my emotional and my spiritual needs. He provides for those things. And the verse goes on like this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In fear of enemies, when we're lost, when we don't know the answer for the very next day of our lives, there he is again. Because you see, a shepherd was someone that was so intimately involved with his sheep that he would not let anything happen to his sheep 
without his knowledge. A shepherd was so close, was so sufficient for every need of the sheep. You read a verse like this that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And oftentimes what's the vivid visual that we have? This image of lush rolling hills, maybe in Ireland where there's grass everywhere and the sheep are so fat from eating the grass. But the truth is that's not really how David would have imagined that pasture to look like. In the area of the world where David was watching over sheep, it was a desert. There aren't green pastures so easily available to come across. And so what we often see is this is most likely what a green pasture would look like. It would have been rocky desert, but in the middle of the rocky desert, the humidity in the air would have been captured just enough to let moisture trickle in and allow a little sprig of grass to sprout out from the dirt and to pop up. And that's what the shepherd would lead his sheep to. Think about what the sheep would do. If there's one sprout here and one sprout 10 feet away, the sheep would wander to wherever there was grass so they could eat it, just like we often do. But the shepherd would keep the sheep in line knowing that I'm taking you to something better, taking you to quiet waters, taking you to greener pastures. All you have to do is trust me. All you have to do is follow me in the midst of all of this. If you want to know where satisfaction comes from, where does peace come from, where does contentedness come from, It comes from being connected to the shepherd, and that's it. If the Lord is my shepherd, you shall not want, you shall not lack in any way. So much in this earth we think leads us to satisfaction. Money, friends, relationships, these things lead us to satisfaction. But ask people who have found money, friends, relationships, did they find satisfaction completely in those things? Ultimately, though, we have to find that only the shepherd satisfies. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This morning I ask, are you completely dependent upon God? Is your relationship with God, is your relationship with the shepherd what guides and leads you every day of your lives? Is that the most important thing in your lives this morning? Or is it something that's somewhere deep down in my list of priorities is my connection to God? Because the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate quenching of our thirst comes from knowing the shepherd this morning. And how you view this shepherd says so much about your relationship with him. In other Psalms that we, that we may study in this, in this portion of our, of our, of our theme this, this coming couple of weeks, You will see that David refers to God and the other psalmists refer to God as my rock. Sometimes they call him my fortress. Sometimes he's my deliverer, my redeemer. But David dives even deeper in this psalm and he says, I have a word, I have a phrase that encompasses all of those other phrases. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd was the flock's guide. The shepherd was the flock's deliverer. He was their defense. He was their thinker. He was their physician. He was everything to those sheep. Everything I could ever want, everything I could ever need came from that shepherd. And as long as I was connected to the shepherd, everything else was fine. And this morning, some of us sit here with heavy hearts, with with brokenness in our lives, with sorrow and anguish in our lives. And the question is not, can I ever overcome this? The question is, am I connected to the shepherd this morning? Because all my peace comes from him. All my contentedness comes from him. All my satisfaction comes only from him. The shepherd is everything to these sheep. 
And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. My friends, this is the greatest privilege that we have is that in the Old Testament we knew that God was such a loving God to create us that he was God before us. He would walk before the people of Israel. In the New Testament he was God with us. Emmanuel who came down to this earth lived among us and died for our sins and rose again. He was God with us. Here's the greatest privilege that you and I have this morning is that He's not just God before us or God with us. This morning, He's God in us. He lives in us. He loves us. He dwells in us. And He desires to give us the peace that only He can give. But the only question is, is who is He to you this morning? Is He your shepherd or is He just someone you think about every once in a while? Is He the source of all peace and all joy in your lives? Or is He just some passerby in your life? The valley of the shadow of death was a literal place in David's time. It was a valley with high cliffs on either side and a very narrow valley in the middle. It was known as the valley of death or the valley of darkness for a simple reason because predators would often bring their prey and lead them into the valley where they could trap them there and kill them. It was a place that smelled of death, a place that reeked of the the, the poison of death. Thieves and robbers would often hide in the cliffs and they would dive down and strike anyone that would walk through the the valley because it was an easy place to target prey. David says that even when I'm in that type of a place, God, it's not that you are a source of strength for me. It says, God, you are with me in that place. That's the peace that comes from knowing the Lord as your shepherd. So a couple of quick reminders for us this morning. A few things that we should be thinking about. Can we trust the shepherd in all situations of our lives? Can we be content in him in all situations? You have to trust him when you only know part of the story. When you only have part of the picture, you still have to trust him. It's like children who constantly ask their parents, why? You tell them, don't do this, and they say, what? Why? And you have to somehow explain why. The truth is, you as a parent know things that they just don't know. You have an understanding of the whole story, the big picture, then they only see a small part of the picture. In the same way, trusting the shepherd means that we don't stop for the dirty puddle because the shepherd is leading us to the quiet waters. We don't stop for the little piece of grass because the greener pastures are coming in front of us. Trusting the shepherd even when we don't have the whole picture. It also means that we don't have to map out every step of our lives. We don't have to know everything that's coming. We just need to trust the shepherd for what's going on today. Trust the shepherd for today. I think that also means that we don't have to chase the things that the shepherd asks us to wait for. Let me say that again. Oftentimes we are so quick as sheep to run after whatever we think will satisfy right now. But the shepherd sometimes says, wait. Wait for the right moment and I will provide what you need at the right time. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides me when I need him to guide me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's another part of that scripture that says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
all of this shows that the shepherd does things that we may not understand. The rod and staff were a simple idea that a shepherd would carry a staff with him. The staff would have a large hook on the end of it, and it was used to grab the sheep and bring them back in line with what the shepherd wanted us to, wanted to do. Many times this is what we feel in life. We feel like we're being dragged by God. Why, God? Why do I have to do this right now? The shepherd is is telling us, can you trust me when you don't see the whole story? When you don't see the big picture, can you still trust me in those situations? I think one of the most content people that we've ever known in history was the Apostle Paul. Paul writes so much about the struggles and the suffering he goes through every day and oftentimes reminds us how content he is in the middle of that. Let me read you a small part of Paul's life from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says there like this, that I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's what Paul's life was like. Paul's life was tough. It was full of suffering. It was full of turmoil every day. But Paul is the same Paul who one day writes one of the most other most famous verses in all of Scripture, one of the most famous verses we see athletes quote it. We see so many others quote it. It's a simple verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4, verse 13. But sometimes in the context of it all, we miss what Paul is really saying, and I think it's important to see what that verse actually looks like. Here's what it says right before that verse. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, through him who gives me strength. It wasn't really a verse about scoring touchdowns. It was a verse about struggling and suffering and having no rest in this life, but knowing that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That when I am connected to the shepherd, everything else makes sense. Everything else is right and true when I am connected to the shepherd. And this morning as we close, the question to each of us, who is the shepherd to you this morning? How would you finish that statement? The Lord is my what? John chapter 10 Jesus Christ gives one of the greatest examples of who he is to you. And it's important for us to understand, if we're going to ask the question, who is he to me, then you need to take a second to step back and ask the question, who are you to him? Let me say that again. It's not enough to understand who is he to you. At some point, we have to come to terms with who are you to him. This morning, I'm going to read a few verses from John chapter 10, which talks about the good shepherd. Jesus says like this, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. What does Jesus repeat over and over again in this passage? I lay down my life for my sheep. While you are wrestling with the question, Who is the shepherd to me? Please don't forget to wrestle with the question, who were you to that shepherd? That shepherd, that good shepherd said that I will lay down my life for my sheep. Even if they're hungry, I'll lay my life down for them. When they're thirsty, I'll lay my life down for them. When their soul is empty and in anguish, I will lay my life down for them. When they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will lay my life down for them. When they are presented with their enemies before them, I will lay my life down for them. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep because he He knows the life of the sheep is so valuable to him. When you ask the question, who are you to the Lord? The answer is simple. You are the most precious thing that he could have ever imagined. He was willing to shed his blood for you. This morning as we took from communion, we simply stated, Lord, I remember that your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me because you decided to take upon yourself the penalty that I deserve for the sins that I had committed. I need you, my shepherd, because without you, I have nothing. You lay down your life for your sheep and for that reason, I can live in eternity with you. This morning, the question to each one of us is, who is the shepherd to you? And the question we have to struggle and wrestle with is, who were you to the shepherd? He was willing to lay down his life for us. As we close in prayer today, and as I welcome the worship team to come back forward this morning, I want us to think about this simple idea. That David felt contentedness not because of the throne he sat on, not because of the palace he lived in, not because of the battles that he'd won. He felt content because he was connected to the shepherd. Every day, every morning, no matter what we go through, this is the question for each of us. Are we connected to the shepherd? Are we listening to his voice? Are we going where he wants us to go? And as we sang today, where you go, I'll go. Where you move, I'll move. When you stay, I'll stay. That idea of where the shepherd leads, I will follow. The shepherd thought of you in a very, very different way. That shepherd was willing to come down to this earth as a man, leave the riches and the glory of heaven, take on the punishment of crimes that he did not commit. He was beaten for our sins. He was mocked. The hairs in his beard were plucked out. A crown of thorns was placed upon him. Wrought iron nails were driven through his hands and his feet. He was stretched out on a cross 
and suffered anguish so that you and I can be in relationship with the shepherd, that we wouldn't be lost, that we could be content and satisfied. As he was stretched out on that cross and uttering his last words as the air was taken from him little by little as he was being suffocated upon that cross, all he thought about was you and I, about the fact that he gets to have a relationship with you and I. And that's the message of the cross this morning for each of us. The message of the good shepherd is that he lays down his life for his sheep. And for every one of us that are gathered here today, that shepherd has an invitation for you and for Atman for me. That invitation is simple. Follow me. Let me take you through the storms that you're going through in life right now. Let me take you through the hills and the valleys, the wilderness that you are going through right now. Let me lead you. Follow me. I am the good shepherd. I would not let any harm come to you because I'm willing to lay down my own life for you. Can we close our eyes and bow our heads in the presence of God this morning? If there's anyone here this morning that does not have a relationship with the shepherd, that you know about Jesus, you know about what he's done, but you don't feel like you have a connection with him this morning, you don't know the shepherd who laid down his life for you, this morning is an opportunity to welcome him into your heart. For the rest of us, as we go through life and we, we struggle with the things that, the li- that life throws at us, the sorrow, the pain, the agony, the depression, the anxiety, the restlessness, the chaos that goes on in our hearts, as we struggle with that every day, The question is not how can I solve it using the things I can accumulate or the things I can acquire in this world. The question is, who is the shepherd to you this morning? If you understand who you are to him, it becomes a lot easier to answer that question. Let's pray together. especially to those who are looking to make that decision in their lives today. Please don't hesitate to come see Pastor Brian or myself after service today. We'd love to talk to you more about that decision, how to make it, how to continue to walk with this good shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you're not just a hired hand that comes and watches the sheep and disappears when trouble comes. You are the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. This morning we agree with David when he says that it's only because of you that we can ever lack anything. God, I pray that you would teach us as your people to trust you more. Even when we don't see the final outcome, even when we don't see the final result, help us to trust you more to trust you in the little things in life, to trust you with the large decisions of life, to trust you in our marriages, to trust you in our parenting, to trust you in our jobs, in our schools, in our workplaces, wherever we go, to trust you with the needs we have in life, to trust you because you, O Lord, are worthy of that trust. You lay down your life for your sheep, and we thank you for that this morning. I pray especially for every person here who has made a commitment to follow after you. Lord, I pray that you give them the peace that comes with knowing the shepherd. 
pray that you would work in their lives and take them to the valleys, take them through the valleys to the places that you want them to be, Lord God. For every person who is struggling with heartache and difficulty this morning, God, be the shepherd that comforts us this morning, Lord. Be the shepherd that leads us this morning, Lord. We trust you, Lord, to lead us and guide us in all that we need for the days ahead. You are our shepherd. There is nothing we want. There is nothing we lack. We thank you because goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We thank you for that promise. And it all goes back to this. You are the good shepherd. You lay down your life for your sheep. We thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.